It's the Lawn and Garden Show with Walter Reeves on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. It's brought to you by Pike Nurseries, your neighborhood garden center. Playing in the dirt for more than 50 years. Call now with your lawn and garden questions at 404-872-0750 or 1-800-WSB-TALK. And now, here's Walter. It's 7.07, 55 degrees outside. The temperature jumping all around at 60 degrees a while ago. Now it's 55, but basically it's going to be reasonably warm all day long. 63, 47 are the extremes for today and rain throughout the day. Our number on lawn and garden, 404-872-0750. First in line, Jay up in Gainesville, Georgia. Hey, Jay, good morning. How you doing? Hey, man, I'm fine. What's going on? Well, listen, I'm trying to grow a California redwood. I got the sapling uh, from an order company, and it's about 15 inches tall. Right. It recommended that I plant it in a one-gallon pot, which I have done. And I'm just wondering what I was planning on trying to grow it in pots until it was like eight feet tall, uh, because as I understand it, they're very, very delicate. And then when they get a little bigger, they get a little bit more hardy. Right. What would you recommend? I recommend learning from my mistakes in the past, Jay. There are three plants that typically end up with me saying what I think and people immediately within the next day saying, you are completely wrong, Mr. Reeves. One of them is rhubarb. As soon as I say you cannot grow rhubarb in Atlanta, I'll have five pictures of healthy, nice rhubarb plants in Atlanta. Another one, you, can, you can't get any fruit off bananas in Atlanta. Oh, yes, you can. I Here's a big fruit, big hanging thing of fruit that I got off my banana last year. And the other one is growing California redwood and sequoia. As soon as I say, Jay, that you can't grow them in Gainesville, somebody will show me one 20 feet tall. I'll say, well, yes, I can. So, Jay, you're, you're, you're whatever you got, your green thumb, your technique, your skill, keep doing what you're doing, but don't listen to me. <laughs> okay, sorry I called. <laughs> Just wasted your time big time. I will never listen to you again, don't worry. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Hey, Jay, I have a little thing on my website that sort of describes the environment that, that the sequoias and redwoods would like. Look at that, see if it makes any addition to the knowledge you already have. And in two or three years, Jay, send me some pictures. I want to see this plant. I want to see how big it is. I want to see how successful you are. And maybe one day I will learn something. Okay. All right. Bye. Jay, it's great Thank talking you, to you. Yeah, man, thanks for calling. Be careful. Be safe. 404-872-0750 is my number. We've got John out in Roswell with a mystery on his hands. Hey, John, what's going on with you? Walter, is it possible for of grapevine and a muscadine vine on the same uh, trellis growing to within 20 feet of each other. Yeah. Or the characteristics of one to take the other one over. Ooh. Fun question. Let me think. I can't think of a single way that could happen. No, muscadines are one species of grape. And the bunch grapes, Concord or whatever you might have, are another species of grape. And although they're both grapes, they don't pollinate each other. So I don't see any way they could take on the characteristics. What What do you see? What are you finding, John? Well, this uh, this year, the um, grapevine, the, there were muscadines coming off of the same um, 
you know, vines that were growing grapes. Mm, you mean bunch grapes is what you're describing? Bunch grapes? Uh, yeah, yeah, they have bunch grapes. Nah, that muscadine has gotten tangled around in there. That vine has snuck up behind the other one is is mixed up with it. But uh, that's much more likely to me than any kind of taking on the characteristics of the bunch grape. You've got a muscadine vine yeah. somehow hiding. Okay. Is it okay for me to prune them the vines now? Yeah, man, right now. Right okay. now is a great time. In fact, the rainier and the colder it is, the better off. That's what my dad would say. Oh, okay. In fact, I got a I got a email two days ago from the folks who bought my parents' property down in Fayette County, and they had All a right. question about what they found in one of the barrels there, which <laughs> turned out to be something funny. I started laughing as soon as they asked, as soon as I read their email. They said, we have t- stuck a stick in a barrel we found in the shed, and it was real sweet and alcoholic smelling. Did y'all have muscadine wine on your farm? And I thought, my parents? Are you kidding me? The teetotalers? No way in the world. But what he found was a a barrel with uh, old uh, crude molasses in it that my father would buy and put on the cow feed so the cows would get some energy during the wintertime. And this old barrel was still up in the shed. They'd found it, and et cetera. But when I was talking to them or emailing back and forth to them, I thought to myself, now's the time you need to be pruning the muscadines. This is when my dad would prune. The muscadines. You too, John. This is the time to prune both grapes. Yeah, both sides. And there's a little bit difference, John, between muscadine pruning and bunch grape pruning. I have details on both of them, but pictures are what you really want. I have pictures of how to look for the buds and how to find out where to make your cuts on it. But January, February are the time for grape pruning. Okay. And... But the, there is a difference in the length of the pruning back. I yeah, do. yeah, exactly, John. Okay. Your own line is what? WalterReeves.com. And just okay. type in the Thank word you. muscadine or bunch grape. Either one will take you to the Thank you. appropriate I've always place. cherished your advice. You, you're very good. <laughs> At least Thank with you. this, I know what I'm talking about. Not about California sequoias and redwoods, John, but I do know about muscadines. Well, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt on those. <laughs> All right. Go read those fact sheets about how to prune them. You'll find out whether I know what I'm talking about or not. Tanner is out in Woodstock and joins us. Tanner, hey, Hi. good morning. Hey, man. How you doing? I'm doing great, Tanner. What you need? I, 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 I had one question. I thought of another one while I'm driving. All right. Uh, the first one, I have a really high water table in my lawn, so yeah. whenever it rains for long or hard enough, it tends to create a pond. Yeah. And I was thinking of planting something, either just a plant or a tree, that tends to thrive in high water situations. Hmm. I just don't know where to begin because I'm, I'm pretty young. So. Yeah, I, you know, that's a great idea, Tanner, because if you... We know the adage about making lemonade out of lemons, and you have a wet spot that the grass is never going to be happy there. And so instead, plant yeah. something that is going to be happy there. It makes perfect sense to me. So what could go? Uh, uh, the um, river birch. River birch is a commonly planted tree, landscape tree in Atlanta. Tolerates nice, moist soils. Um, let's see what else could be out there. I sometimes... I'm not going to let you plant the other one I'm thinking about right now because it's just such a messy tree. I don't want you to plant it. i tell you what. What is the possibility, Tanner, of making a sort of a landscape rain garden there? Would you have enough room, 10 feet by 20 feet maybe, that you could have a little landscape flowering area? Yeah, I could could make a 20-foot rain garden. Oh, man, we're talking good times then. There is, again, I have to refer you to my website because it just takes so much time to describe all the plants and the technique of digging and draining and all that kind of stuff. 
But if you just go to WalterReeves.com and type Rain Garden in there, the University of Georgia did a great job with a publication five years ago now that has a list of plants that tolerate wet feet, um, how to con- contour the size of the rain garden so it doesn't get full up and you know attract mosquitoes or anything. So this stuff on rain gardening, I think, is a great way to deal with a wet place in the landscape that's going to be you know, not good for grass. WalterReeves.com, rain garden. That's all you do. What's the second question, Tanner? Uh, my backyard is being attacked by ivy vines. Like English ivy? Uh, yeah, they, they're like low, like on the ground, yeah. little thick vines that like not even a lawnmower will pick up. Hmm. All right, go ahead. And I'm trying to figure out the most effective way to just eliminate it all in one fell swoop, if that's even possible. Let's figure out what it is first. You said ivy vine, and it's real low, so it's not the green, shiny vine that climbs up trees, but it's a little low Yeah, it, it's that, and it's, it's starting to branch across, like, a fence into my backyard, and it's growing along the ground, finding another tree. Okay, trying to find something else. If it is English ivy, frankly, Tanner... The easiest, yeah, pretty sure it's English ivy. The easiest way to deal with it, honestly, is just to pull it up and throw it back over the fence. I mean, I can give you sprays, Roundup, and some other sprays that will kill it, yeah. But you're going to kill other things around it, the grass and things that you don't want to hurt. And English ivy, although it has those roots that go into the ground, they're not very deep. And you can just grab one end of it, and if it's a wet day like it's going to be all weekend... Just pull it, and it'll go brrr, just like a zipper. It'll come right out of the ground, pull it up as far as you care to pull, and then throw it over into the into the woods or in, in the garbage can, whatever you want to do with it. But I think pulling, in your case, if it's not completely infested, makes more sense than uh, trying to kill it. Yeah, it, it's pretty bad. Yeah. All right. Well, do you know? Do that if you really want to know what to spray. Again, I'm not going to go over it right now. But while you're searching for rain gardens on my website, type in English ivy, and I'll show you some of the techniques you have for controlling English ivy. But again, in this case, let's don't spray. Let's pull them. I think you're better off that way. It's 717 at News Talk WSB. We'll be back after this. This is Scott Slade, host of Atlanta's Morning News on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. We'll be covering breaking news, Kirk Mellish weather, and traffic red alerts through the weekend. And the Southeast's largest news team is here for you first thing Monday morning when you head back to work. News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. Now back to Walter Reeves, the lawn and garden advice you need. I'm put into Nashville, Tennessee. But you wouldn't even come around to see me. And since you're heading up to Carolina, you know I'm going to be right there behind you. Following somebody that doesn't want to talk to him anymore. No, a quick weather update brought to you by Ackerman Security. Light showers this morning, cloudy, pretty drizzly all day long. High today, 63 in the afternoon, low of 47 overnight. Tomorrow it's going to rain again on Sunday. High of 60, low of 50. I think Kirk is saying several days of on and off rain, so your full weekend forecast comes up in 10 minutes on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. Scott's up in Cartersville, joins us on Lawn and Garden. Hey, Scott, good morning. Good morning. How are you today? Hey, Scott, I'm doing great. What's up? Uh, I've got um, probably about 30 Japanese maples. Yeah. And I've got one and about two of them that half one side of the tree's dying. Hmm. 
and the limbs are starting to split open on them. And I'm wondering, do I need to cut those pieces off? Are these dwarf Japanese maples or tall Japanese maples? What form? These are tall. They're about 25 foot tall. Okay. And so 48 years old. The limbs split off. Tell me more about that. What does that mean? It's just splitting down the limb where it's died. Hmm. That be does it have leaves on it? Did it was it healthy last year or it split just recently or what do you? Um, it died last year. The year before it had leaves on it, hmm. and it's like it's spreading through the tree. Hmm. I can't think of anything that would spread through a Japanese maple tree. But if the if the limb this you don't have to do anything right now unless you're pretty convinced it's not alive. If you're sure it's dead, then now is a good time to. It's then split open. Okay, in that case, cut it off. Cut it off. And you know, uh, Scott, I think that the place to make your cut on any tree, Japanese maple included, is if you're cutting the whole limb away, look for the little collar where it comes out of the trunk of the tree and make your cut just outside of that collar so the collar will swell up and cover over the wound. And that's all you need to do. No tar or anything like that to put on the wound. But if you want to take off the maple limbs because they're dead, now would be a great time to get onto it. Okay, and I'm also having the same thing happen to my dogwood and my sugar maples. Hmm. Again, there's nothing that would be epidemic between the three of those different trees. And there's no holes bored in it, Um, you know. Hmm. I just can't figure out what's doing it. But there is like a grayish-looking moss on the tree. Yeah, but that's just lichens. You know what I think? I think, Scott, that you have... Older trees are declining a little bit, the dogwood in particular. The lichens, the grayish, mossy stuff you see on the trunk of these trees, tells me one big thing, and that is there's not enough foliage on the top of the tree to shade the lichens out. Lichens don't hurt trees at all. They just grow on bark where there's thin foliage above them. And so I think these trees should certainly use a little fertilizer to force on some growth this spring. And you can use just about any fertilizer you can find. You can use 10-10-10. You could use miracle Grow, You could use Milorganite. You could use lawn fertilizer without a weed killer in it. You can use anything you want to, but just spread it out underneath the trees lightly and let them get some more nutrients this spring. That'll at least give you more leaves, and that may help what you need to do to make the trees healthier. Okay, I've got zoysia grass planted around them. Uh-huh. Um, for that matter, what? Yeah. Pull the zoysia, or at least mulch the plants at least halfway out to the tips of the branches, Scott. Zoysia is the champion at pulling nutrients and water out of the ground and weakening trees that it grows underneath. Bermuda might be another one in there, so both of them. Oh, great. If, you let, if you let grass grow under a tree, you've got a, a war on your hand that you don't know about, but the grass and the tree are fighting each other tooth and nail all the time. And if you want the trees to thrive, get the grass out of there and put mulch underneath them. Okay. And chicken manure would be okay to use? Yeah. Oh, man, yeah. If you've got chicken manure, <laughs> if you got chicken manure, those trees would be happy. They'll be clucking and laying eggs before you know it out there. Yeah, chicken manure is good stuff. It's 727 at Newstalk WSB. Our number is 404 872 We'll be back to more Lawn and Garden after news. 
It's the Lawn and Garden Show with Walter Reeves on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. It's brought to you by Pike Nurseries, your neighborhood garden center. Playing in the dirt for more than 50 years. Call now with your lawn and garden questions at 404-872-0750 or 1-800-WSB-TALK. And now, here's Walter. 7.36 on a Saturday morning, 53 degrees outside. This is Lawn and Garden. I'm Walter Reeves, the Georgia Gardener. I'm here to help you be more successful. Whatever you want to do, whatever you want to do. If you have some weird, crazy project you want to do in your landscape or with your houseplants, if you have some weird bug or creature that's in your house, if you have anything with green attached to it or pest critters attached to it, give me a call, 404 872 Zero seven fifty, And sometimes I'll tell you the truth. It is not worth the trouble. If you have a question, you wonder if it's worth even doing, I'll tell you that too. Tyler is in Decula and joins us on Lawn and Garden. Hey, Tyler, good morning. Hey, good morning, Walter. Hey, How are you Tyler? doing? I'm doing all right, Tyler. What's going on? Um, I have, I have a lot of questions about garden stuff, but uh, the one that's uh, closest right now is uh, my uh, my wife, her uh, her grandparents, uh, her granddad just passed away, and huh. her grandmother passed away a few years ago, and they're actually getting ready to sell the house that they grew up in and everything, and they have some rose bushes on the outside, and they're, like, really pretty, and I, I'm not sure what kind of roses they are, but okay. I just wanted to know how to get cuttings off of those and maybe sure. just kind of give them to the family as I get them to take Oh, that's really nice root. of you. Really great, Tyler. Um, how soon before you think it'll sell? Uh, it'll probably sell then probably like three months or so. Okay. So before June, more than likely. Yes, sir. Sounds right. The later you wait, the, I think the better off you're going to be. And mm -hmm. so it'd be better even to do it in June if you possibly can arrange it. The house doesn't sell, but you don't have to do this now. You can wait until things are warmed up a little bit and you've seen sort of what the market is and how many bids you have on the house and, you know, just make some decisions later on. But the way to do the propagation, there are about one, two, three things you have to provide for a cutting to, to uh -huh. make roots underneath it. It has to have warm soil. It has to have lots of light. And the atmosphere around it for at least the first couple of weeks needs to be very, very humid because if it dries okay. out, if the leaves are there and the roots, of course, not yet, um, then everything dries out and it dies. So that's why mm -hmm. greenhouses are so good at propagating plants because the greenhouse gives you all you need, light, water, you know, everything, environment. Okay. For you, you make little greenhouses, little tiny greenhouses out of two-liter drink bottles. Just go get a two-liter two drink bottle. Go to Walmart and get a whole bunch of them. <laughs> okay. Pour awesome. out the pour out the uh, stuff that's inside, and cut them, Tyler, four inches from the bottom. Take a razor blade or a pair of scissors, sharp scissors, and cut around, but not completely around it. So it makes a little hinge, about half an inch wide, a little hinge, so the top can flop backwards, and the bottom okay. four inches can be open. Take okay. a hot nail or whatever you can got to make holes in the bottom so it does drain a little bit. So we don't want to put some uh -huh. drainage in the bottom of this uh, two-liter bottle. Okay. And fill it with uh, potting soil. And can be just any good quality potting soil. It could even be sand and um, perlite. You get little bags of perlite from Pike. But something that's real loose and airy, sort of a real nice loose potting soil. Go out to your okay. rose bush and take cuttings. They're about, uh, hold it in front of a microphone here, about six six inches long. 
You want to have it's some as cutting. Yeah, okay. some and the cutting should be not the not the fastest growing cuttings, but some that have been on the plant for a little while. In other words, you see, and you know right now that if you look at a rose bush, the the new cuttings are all real light green, real flim, flimsy and limp. They don't root yes, very sir. well. You need the woody cuttings is what you're looking for, and so that's why June is better because that's when the woody cuttings have started to form as the as the young stuff okay. starts hardening off. But nonetheless, you'll wait. You, you'll do this when the time comes. Look for the woody cutting, cut about six inches long, little tuft of leaves at the end, strip off all the lower leaves on it. Mm-hmm. And in those little greenhouses you've made, five or six or seven little greenhouses, poke a hole in the potting soil, stick the cutting in about halfway, three inches down, firm the soil around it with your fingers, water okay. it a little bit, and then flip the hinge, flip the top back on top again, and take some masking tape and something and, and tape it down so it doesn't flop back away. And you don't have to put the cap on, but I usually put the cap on for at least a day or two because I want to see some condensation inside. If I see a little cloud of condensation on the inside of my bottle, I know that it's humid inside there, and I just sort of keep an eye on it. If it's really, really cloudy, then I'll take the cap off. If it's just a little bit of a cloud, I leave the cap on. Put it in a sunny, sunny window, sunny as you can get, that does not, not... too hot. You know, some windows are just hot all day long. You don't want to put it there. Maybe a, an east window or a northeast window where it gets a good bit of sunshine but not a lot of hot southern or southwestern exposure. And uh, leave it there. Gosh, leave it there, Tyler, for, oh, it would take about three months, depending on how much sunshine you have. And mm-hmm. uh, open it up once in a while, every six weeks or so, every, every week or so after the first six. And Give a little tug on the cuttings. And the ones that have rooted, they'll tug. You can't take them out of the soil because you see the roots form there. And you leave them in there until, gosh, I'd leave them in, I guess, until the fall, until September, August maybe. And you'll see little white roots inside sometimes. And uh, once they've really started growing good inside the container, you can actually take the top off of it. Just let that bottom four inches of your two-liter bottle be your pot. It's got drainage, okay. as good as any clay pot you got. <laughs> so you just let them grow awesome. for a while. And then in the fall, you give uh, uh, plants to your friends and family and say, hey, I propagated mama and papa's rosebush. Okay, That's awesome. So and, uh, how often would I water that? Just enough to keep the cloud of condensation inside. And again, it won't be much. You won't have to put much water in there as long as it's, you know, as it's sealed up with some tape around the, around the seam where you cut it. So mm-hmm. just a little bit, and frankly, the water, you take the cap off and pour a couple of tablespoons in. It doesn't take much. Okay. Keep it moist. If you want to see awesome. some pictures, Tyler, if you want to see a couple of pictures in there uh, and stuff, I've got some pictures of this whole process on my website. If you want to just put propagation is the word to use when you search on it on WalterReeves.com. It's like propagation. It has directions for propagating camellias and azaleas and roses. It's all the same. And you see what it did, what I do, what I have done before. Mm -hmm. Is it would that would that work with trees as well as any kind of cutting? Some are a lot harder than roses, azaleas, roses, hydrangeas. Those are easy, Tyler. When you get into the oak trees and things like that, yeah, it's not worth it. Go buy one. Already, all right. Thank you, Tyler. I appreciate it. Great talking to you. I wish you great success. It should be a lot of fun. Good projects to do. Robert is up in Cumming, Georgia. Hey, Robert, good morning. Morning, Walter. What you got, Robert? I've got a uh, about a 17-year-old long-needle pine tree. It's among five of the original five to eight of the trees in a, in a group that's there. And yeah. I noticed that late summer, 
it all of a sudden just dropped all of its needles. It has shown no signs of the the needles coming back. And about wow. two-thirds up on the way on the trunk, there's a large white um, fungus-type okay. area. My question is, is do I need to go ahead and take the tree out eventually, and or will it, the disease it probably has will spread to the others? Might not be a disease. It could be pine borers, which bored into the trunk, and the white stuff you see up high is the rosin that came out of the trunk. Would that be possible? Mm-hmm. That's possibility, it seems to me. Um, and if there's no needles above that point, that would be pretty symptomatic of pine borers getting into your trees. So if there are no needles, boy, Robert, I don't think that tree is alive. I think it's dead. I think you have firewood there, vertical firewood. Yeah. I guess so. Then that's the next question is when is since that I noticed that a current started late summer, when would a good time to be to fell the tree? So it's uh, I'm just not sitting in a, you know, a sap, pine sap mess, rosin mess. Yeah, I, the wintertime is probably better than the summertime because beetles, pine borer beetles are attracted to the smell of pine sap. And so during the spring okay. and summer, a lot of sap being thrown about by the chainsaw and the tree laying down on the ground then is exuding some smells to it too, which can attract the bad beetles that you do not want any more of. So the better time to cut them down would be in the late fall through the very early spring. Great. And one more question. What's the latest in the Atlanta metro area? Could I trim crepes? You can trim crepe myrtles any day of the year, and they will come back and do fine. Most people do their murdering now, but that's just because most people do it that way. Why? Maybe because when they're blooming, you don't want to prune it thin. You don't have to prune to make them bloom. There's no need to just knob them off like the landscapers do if you don't want to, Robert. But if you want to prune them now, fine. Do it this afternoon. Well, Walter, you've been a big help. Thank you. Doing my best, Robert. Thanks for calling. Thank you so much for being a listener. 404-872-0750 is my number. Ted out in Cumming, Georgia joins us. Hey, Ted, good morning. Good morning. Hey, man, what's up? Okay, uh, got a Bermuda lawn. Yeah. I take care of it myself. I typically put out pre-emergent first part of March, but I'm already seeing some uh, intrusion, and if I'm correct, I think it's called henbit. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And I'm wondering, I've had that before, uh, and quite honestly, every product I seem like I use, the only thing it appears to be is just good fertilizer for the henbit. So, uh, Don't forget that the henbit... <laughs> I was asking if you... The henbit actually germinated back in the fall. It germinated back in October, okay. November. So you would put a pre-emergent out in September to prevent henbit. Now... Pre-emergent won't do a thing for it because it's already emerged. Um, gotcha. The pre-emergent you put out in March is to prevent things like crabgrass, some other annual summer weeds, maybe some uh, um, goosegrass and things like that. So if you use a pre-emergent, the time to put it down is twice a year, one for winter weeds, one for summer weeds. For winter weeds, we do it in September. For summer weeds, some around the 1st of March. A couple of right. weeks from now, put the pre-emergent out. And the hen bit, if you want to control it, one of the spray-on products, the uh, Bonide Weed Beater Ultra works great. The Bayer or BioAdvance now, um, season-long weed control, both of those work fine. But the spray-on okay. products will do on the hen bit, but the pre-emergent is for crabgrass later on. 
Right. Ooh, Ted's breaking up badly right there. Well, let's go to, out of here with 748. We'll be back right after this. This is Scott Slade from Atlanta's Morning News on WSB. Our 24-hour news center delivers updates all weekend. Depend on it. We'll be here Monday morning, 4.30 till 9, for breaking news and traffic and weather every six minutes. News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. Now back to the Lawn and Garden Show with Walter Reeves. Seven fifty four. A quick weather update brought to you by Ackerman Security. Light showers throughout the morning. Cloudy, drizzly all day long. The high of sixty three. Not so bad. Forty seven overnight. Rain tomorrow. Of course, too. I have sixty. Low of fifty on Sunday. Your full weekend forecast comes up in ten minutes with News ninety five five and AM seven fifty WSB. We've got Patrick incoming who joins us this morning. Patrick, good morning. Patrick, where are you? Hi, Walter. Hey, Patrick. There you are. Hey, good morning. How you doing? Good, good morning. Hey, I was calling for hopefully just a quick little question here. Sure. Uh, wanted to see if... Whoa, Patrick, I don't hear you now. Patrick? Well, Patrick's going to broke off there, but I think I know what Patrick's question was. This question was sort of a beginner garden question. He said, what are these yellow flowers I see growing along the highways in people's yards outside? I'm positive that what he's talking about are daffodils, or we call jonquils sometimes, which is just a form of daffodil flower. And I'm reminded of them because my grandmother, whom I refer to as Bubber, my Bubber, had a bunch of those yellow jonquils along the flower beds at the front of the, front of the house near the highway, and over the years, as the ditch got widened and kids moved dirt around, and as they self-seeded a little bit, there'd be clumps of these jonquils growing in the ditch up and down the up and down Highway 92 in Fayette County. And when I knew that we were going to sell the house after my mother was ill, we dug, or I dug mostly, all the daffodils, the jonquils, any bulb that I could find on the property and took them all to my house. They're blooming right now. And so seeing these jonquils, these yellow flowers blooming at this time of year, just reminds me of my grandmother and how much she loved those flowers and how for a kid, how fun it was to go out with a pair of scissors maybe and cut out five or 10 or 15 of those yellow flowers, bring them inside, show them to your mother and put them into a quart glass jar in the middle of the dining room table for a bouquet. You felt very sophisticated when you had a bouquet. The other thing that I felt sophisticated about was reading the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. In fact, it was the Atlanta Constitution that we read back then. I've been a subscriber and a reader for now 50, how many, 57 years? I've been a subscriber for a long time. I hope you will join me every Sunday and join the Atlanta Journal-Constitution Sunday edition. Lots and lots of pages there. I answered a question this week offline about whether the paper could be used for composting, for gardening. Yes, you can. It's paint, printed with uh, soy-based ink. But not only that, but during the Sunday edition, you get to read Bill Torpy, you get to read Jim Galloway, uh, Gracie Staples, all the great writers, the investigations they've done, particularly about the city of Atlanta and the former mayor here, particularly about some of the things we need to get done in the state with Governor Kemp. I think the AJC does a great job of investigations and political reporting as well as sort of the social side of things as well. Sunday, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, the compelling, credible, and complete. 7.57, we'll be back to more Lawn and Garden after news.